Um, this is probably our last in the series of the church, or on the church. And there are a lot of themes in 2 Corinthians we could explore. I, one of these days, I would like to do, you know, a series on the whole book. And one of my preacher friends or that I read, or not a friend, but a preacher guy that I read, he says, I always know exactly how to begin to teach a book as soon as I've finished teaching it. You know all the mistakes you've made, you know all the things you've missed, and you know what you'd do differently next time. So one of these days, we'll have to do that to 2 Corinthians. But for today, there are several themes we could take in here. 2 Corinthians has a serious theme on suffering and on persecution somewhat, and, and that's in this book. 2 Corinthians has um, a theme of stewardship and giving for chapters 8 and 9 and about um, the sacrificial means that that happened in this letter. It, it has a really strong, and I I wanted that to be a part of our sermon today, but when I got done with the first point, I realized that was a sermon. I didn't want to put you through that, so we stopped right there. But this other, this other part that is such a strong message in here is, is it really defines ministry. If you, want to, if you ever want to say, how am I supposed to do ministry? What does it mean to be involved in ministry? Take out 2 Corinthians and study 2 Corinthians. It is a ministry handbook. So that's another thing. Then the other thing, too, is that 2 Corinthians is perhaps the very best s- snapshot of a very personal side of Paul that you don't get in other books. You get snippets of Paul, but in this book, you get several times where Paul is being very self-revealing about his great love for the Corinthians. He's talking about his thorn in the flesh. He talks about how he, many times he has been discouraged and what has discouraged him. He talks about being encouraged. And so there's something about Paul that we see in this book that we don't get to see in all the other books. That would be a great study as well. And while all those are worthwhile simply because the Lord has placed them in the text and, and, you know, and simply because we have great confidence in his word and great confidence in his spirit, and how his spirit has moved along the authors of each and every one of these books. We know that it's there for a reason. And, but today we are going to focus on one particular theme. And that is the theme of comfort. Open up your Bibles to uh, chapter 1. And we're going to be in verses 3 through 5. This is one of my most favorite passages. I refer to it often in my own life and in my preaching and in my talking with folks and this stuff. And... Reading from the New American Standard, I'm also going to read from the Living Bible in a minute, but reading from the New American Standard in um, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just As the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, the the Living Bible says it this way, and I really appreciated this, and so I want to share that with you also. He speaks about, he said, Blessed be the God of the Father, the source of every mercy, and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us. Verse 5, he says, You can be sure that the more we undergo sufferings for Christ, the more he will shower us with his comfort and encouragement. We know it's important, then, when the book opens up and closes with the theme, right? So it opens up with this, and the very 
in the very first chapter, third verse. But if you flip over to the last chapter, chapter 13, verse 11, almost the last verse in this book, you flip over there, and what you find here is this, where he says, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. In addition to this chapter, or in this one passage, the theme comes up again in chapter 2. Flip over there to verse 7. And there, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. So that, on the contrary, you should forgive, you should rather forgive. It's speaking about a brother who had been, um, that they had they were, in a sense, disciplining or punishing. And he says, so that uh, regarding this brother, on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow one be, um, be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then also, you can skip to chapter 7. We find the theme again in chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. Great is my confidence in you, Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowed with joy in all our affliction. You don't hear that often. I'm overflowed with joy in my affliction, he says. For even when we came unto Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but whenever I am in a ministry situation, let's say I'm sitting down talking to someone who's in a very difficult position, and there's just nothing, there's just, you know, the, there's nothing you can do to fix their situation in that moment. Or when you're sharing Christ with someone who's especially belligerent, perhaps, or whatever the case may be, it's, I'm always encouraged that here we have the Apostle Paul who says that I was afflicted on every side. I had conflicts on the outside. I had fears on the inside. I am grateful for his honesty about his own fears and that he had them. He does in verse 6, he says, but God who comforts the depressed. That word depressed right there, so just so because depression is such a clinical term in our culture, the other word you could put there is downcast. So you could just say, but, the, but God who comforts the discouraged comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, um, your zeal for me, and so that I rejoiced even more. So there is that theme of comfort again. Now, let's have some observations about this. First observation. First of all, when we think about comfort, God is the one who comforts first and foremost. You see it, chapter three, um, chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. You see it in verse 5, our comfort is abundant through Christ. You see it in chapter 7, verse 6, but God who comforts the depressed, the downhearted, comforted us. Second observation we can make about this is how does God comfort us? Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, through others. Chapter 7, verse 6, he said, he comforted through the arrival of Titus. And when we were afflicted, 
we knew God would comfort us, so when we were, so when we are afflicted, it is good for you. As a matter of fact, he says in chapter 7, verse 6, he even goes so far and he goes, but when we are afflicted, it is good for you because we take that comfort God gives us and we pass it on to you. Now let's look at those observations and let's think about an application. Very first is that all that God gives us, we are supposed to share. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, has an illustration that has stayed with me ever since I read it. And he talks about the FedEx guy. If you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. He talks about that the FedEx guy has a job to do. And his job is to take that package and knock on that door and leave it there. Or leave it under the mat. Or hand it off to somebody. His job is to take the package and deliver it. It doesn't matter how big it is. You know, his job is to get it to the door somehow. It doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter how many packages are in that truck. It is his job to take those packages and deliver them. Now then, what would you think, and this does, you do hear this once in a while, what would you think of the FedEx guy that said, seems like an iPad. And it just kind of goes under the seat. What would you think of the guy who said, Apple, I don't know what's in it, but it's Apple. That has resale value in it, and it goes under the seat. That FedEx guy's not doing his job, is he? He was paid to deliver a package. And instead, he went through the ones he thought he might want and kept them. Immediately, we would cry foul. Immediately, we'd say, fire him. Fire that dude. He's got a job to do, and he's not doing it. Church, we got a job to do. And it's not a box. We have a job to do. And this passage says that that which he comforted you, you are to take that and comfort another. And so... All of us would be highly insulted. All of us would scream foul. We would, we would say the most horrendous things on our Facebook page about this, this vile criminal who kept a package. And meanwhile, never bat an eye about all the packages underneath our own seat that have gone undelivered and have been stowed away for ourselves. God intends us to be a faithful steward of the comfort that we are received and to pass it along. The second application is that there is nothing in our life that God will allow us to pass through without Him comforting us in it or through it. Now, pay attention to that statement. There are a lot of people, you know, you notice how when you read a statement, sometimes you read the words, but you take a meaning from that that means something different than the words. And so, for instance... You know, this passage that's up there on the screen right now, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says this exact, the, the, read the words for yourself, the exact words it says. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, make your requests made known to God, and the peace which passes comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you know what most of us in the church read that to say? 
Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication make your requests made known to God, and he will take away all your pain and suffering and make everything good for you, and you will not have to suffer in this life. Those words aren't in there. But that's how we live. And when we read that passage, that's what we expect from him. And when we, when we, we take that verse and we try and apply it to our circumstance, we say, well, I prayed that. And my life still stinks. Because the passage doesn't say that he removes the circumstance from us. It says that he gives us peace in the circumstance. And it says that he guards our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. There's nothing about our circumstances that change. Only that God gives us peace in the circumstance. He is teaching us to depend upon him. He's giving us the testimony of his faithfulness that we can share it with others. You get that? So, there are very few people who are able to stand in their cubicles or in their coffee shop at work or wherever they may be and say, God healed me of cancer completely and totally, and I'm cancer-free. He just doesn't do it all the time. But he has made a promise right there in that passage that he will give peace every time in the midst of our circumstances. That he will give peace in the midst of our circumstances. You go into your workplace, you go even to your home today, and there is a strong testimony about who Jesus is when we can say, I have really been struggling with this. And it took me a while, but I came to this place where I have peace about this situation. And folks go, how can that be? I first found this passage to be really, really true the week that my mother died. And found that that passage was inexplicably true. I cannot explain how. I cannot explain why. But there was something inside of me that was undisturbed. I was still mourning. It was still painful. It was still sad. But there was something inside of me that was undisturbed. Now, I wish I could say that I can apply that. I've, I've applied that passage to every situation in my life. My wife, my family, my staff. Some of you know I don't, but it is opportunity there for each one of us to step into that truth and make it our own. And so, in regards to comfort, God gives comfort in every circumstance. He doesn't change the circumstance, but he does give comfort in that circumstance. Our third application is, we are intended to be in relationship with each other. This story you hear about how people don't need the church, you, you hear it all the time. And I'll even go so far is that that thing that all of us kept passing around on the Internet about that really hip, cool guy um, and about how he didn't need the church, but he just loved Jesus. You don't find that in Scripture. You don't find that in Scripture anywhere. 
You don't find that you can love Jesus and hate the church anywhere at all. And if you think you have, I just need to say, you need to go and find those passages where you get to have that opportunity to feel that way and to say that. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you in a heartbeat that in this room, many people have been hurt and crushed. No doubt about it. It doesn't mean the church is bad. It means something else was wrong. Doesn't mean that Jesus failed you. It means something else was wrong. And those who say that they don't need the church, they, they all, when that, because all they got is Jesus, they don't need the church. I'm just telling you right now that that is, and I don't use this phrase, but I kind of like it. It's a good Southern preaching phrase. That is a lie from hell. Amen, brother? Yeah. That dog will hunt. That will preach right there. That is a lie from hell. And all that is doing is Satan uses that lie to separate the weak from the herd so he can pick them off. I don't need the church. I am sick and tired of it. I'm going to stay at home and watch Chuck Stanley. And that's the very place that Satan would snatch you and eat you up right there on your couch. I don't need the church. I'm at one with nature. That's great. You're going to get eaten up by the enemy right there sitting underneath your nature tree. We are designed and intended to be in relationship. And the church is that thing that God set up that says this is where you are in relationship with one another. Too many of us wander away thinking we only need God, but there is a Holy Spirit-inspired ink that says that we are intended to be in relationship with each other so that we can encourage and comfort and even rebuke one another. Every single one of us. There is not a person in this room There is not a person. You know, I hear people all the time say, you know what, God's never really done that in my life. I can't, you know, I don't really have anything I can talk about. There is everyone in this room has something they can say about how God has provided and met them. Well, I take that back. If your relationship with Christ is so... trying to think of a nice word, so paltry. If you are so self-sufficient that you don't take your circumstances to him, then you're right. You might not have anything to say about Jesus because you've never trusted him with your life, with your circumstances enough that he would have the opportunity to meet you there and to supply for you in that miraculous Holy Spirit, God-only, divine, crazy kind of way. Trust and see. Taste and see. Taste and see. No one in this room knows how good a peach is until you bite into it. No one in this room knows how good fried chicken is until you bite into it. And that ought to get an amen right there. (laughs) If you've never tested the Spirit of God, if you've never tested the promises of God, you don't know how true they are And therefore, you cannot say that he is true to his promises. My wife and I can speak about infertility, about adoption, about autism, about suicide, about hardship in marriage, 
and teenage brain cancer because God has walked us through every one of those circumstances. He never took the pain away from those, and they are still painful in some form or fashion, but he walked us through, he loved us, he gave mercy, he demonstrated himself faithful. Therefore, when the opportunity arises, when the opportunity arises, it's not the pain that you talk about. We talk about the goodness of a good and kind father, the promises he kept, the mercy he showed, the peace that he provided. That's what we can talk about. And who? Who is interested in hearing about those things? The mama, the daddy, with the child with autism. The young couple who still can't conceive. Those who've lost their 22-year-old to cancer. Those who've gone through a season of disillusionment in a marriage. All the stuff that we've experienced, all the stuff that you've experienced, all the stuff that Steve has gone through, has gone through it for a purpose and a reason because there's somebody else who is going through that who needs to hear from you how Jesus was faithful in that situation because they're trying to figure out how he is going to be faithful to them in their situation. Who is here today that is not in some type of need of comfort? Some reminder that God is faithful, that he is bigger than your circumstances, that he is bigger than your broken relationships, that he is bigger than your disease or your ailment, that he is bigger than your debt, that he is bigger. And you fill in the blank because every single one of us in this room can fill in that blank with more than one thing. He is bigger. Who doesn't need to be reminded of that? We are here together because we need each other in what God is teaching us. We are here together because God intends to use us in each other's life. This theme that I started out with, and I wrote it and I, and I was thinking about comfort, this theme is not a theme of comfort. This theme is a theme of comfort in community, in relationship. It is the comfort we find in the church family. So let me say this boldly. Be in church. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when the kids are cranky. Even when it's not convenient. Because it's not about you. It's about the person sitting across from you or behind you, or in front of you. It's about the person you'll chat with as you walk out to the car, or it's about the person you're going to talk to as you fill up your coffee cup before you walk in here and spill it. It's that person, that person that it's about. It's not about you. And too many of us have gotten into a very comfortable Bucks County, white-collar, suburban thing that says, well, 
I don't imagine Tim has anything to say to me today. You're probably right, but God does. And he just might use the person sitting across the aisle from you. He just might use someone else in this room. So if the worship stinks and I go over again, none of those are reasons to not be here. Because you're not here because I'm a good preacher. And you're not here because Paul's a good worship leader. You're here because this is where God has placed you. In relationship with these people in this room around you. And I know that the kids have soccer every other weekend. You know what? I, I got to really be honest with you. Then reconsider soccer. Reconsider soccer. Reconsider baseball. Reconsider basketball. Reconsider all those things that take you out of this place two to three times a month. Because you are keeping the package. Or you might be not getting the package you need. I'm not telling you to come here because I'm great. I'm not telling you to come here because anything about this place is great. But we come into this place and we interact with a great God who is doing work in other people's lives. And we need to be sharing what he is doing and receiving what he is doing. Be here because God has done something in your life that someone else in your church family needs to hear about. Be here because we have folks with family members in addition, in, in addiction, and you've been there. Be here because we have folks who are struggling with all they have with depression, and they need to know that there's still hope because you've had it. Be here because we have folks with children's situations and aging parent situations, and they need someone to listen to them, to pray with them, to encourage them, to bring them comfort. Be here to be used by God. We talk about equip, send, serve here at Crossing. And that service thing, people think, well, I'm not on a committee. I'm not on a team. You serve each other when you sit down to someone and say, what is God doing in your life? Let me tell you what he's done in mine. Or better yet, that we would get to that place where we are so honest that we say, you know what? Honest truth, this week sucked. Sorry, Betty. This week sucked. And this is why. Can you pray for me? Or I'm struggling with this. I just, I'm not getting over it. I need help. That is how you serve each other. That is how God uses you. Not because you have a degree, not because you know every Bible verse, but because you have the Spirit of God living in you. And when you step into that place of faithfulness, you remember we talked about that several weeks ago, when you step into that place of faithfulness, not sure what you're supposed to say, and you open your mouth because you're being faithful to the situation, and you expect the Holy Spirit to speak through you, and he'll do that. But you'll never know that if you're not here. 
in relationship with other Christians. Think of what it would do for our church family when we have walked with each other and cared with each other and have God used us in the lives of each other. Think of how the knitting together that will be. But church, this is the thing. Be here because you have a job to do. You have a package to deliver. Or perhaps you have to receive a package. Don't be a poor steward of that package, of that gift. Don't keep it to yourself. Come here expecting God to tell you who you're supposed to be talking to to that day. Come here expecting God to tell you who you're supposed to be giving a package to today. And keep in mind, all of us, this is in 2 Corinthians also, keep in mind all of us will one day give an account for every package in our truck. One day we will all give an account. How many packages are you keeping? How many have you kept? You don't have to tell me. But one of these days, you're going to stand before, or you're going to be kneeling before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll know about every one of them. And you will be held in account for every package that you have never passed along. Thankfully, you will also be given rewards for every package you've passed on. I hope that your rewards outnumber those not. Finally, one last thing to say about this is the greatest package we have to deliver is the good news that Jesus died for the sins of the world and for the forgiveness of sins. That is one message, church, that we need to be serious about. We need to be serious about. Everyone talks about it'd be great. It would be so great. It would be so great to have a cure for cancer. Because if we did, I'd want to tell everyone about it. You have the cure for sin. And I venture to say, too many of us are holding the packages. We're worried about what it's going to look like. What, what am I going to look like as I walk up to the door with this package and, and, and leave it there? If the package has a cure in it, if the package has la- life in it, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter how we sound. We have to get over that as a church and as individuals. And I'm preaching to the choir and to the preacher right now. It is the greatest gift. The gift that mankind does not have to pay the penalty for their sin because Jesus paid it for them. And that if we believe in that payment as our own, that he cancels our sin debt, adopts us into his family, puts his name on us, his spirit in us, and says, your debt is paid. And one day you will be with me because I'm preparing a place for you. That is the greatest package we have. 
That is the greatest thing we have that we're supposed to deliver. Remember, we've, there, everything we've been given, we've been given it so that we can give it away. There is no reservoir with us. There is no dam. This is an open channel of blessing that we received that we're supposed to give others. Let's pray.